everyone. Uh, we have a quorum. There are uh, seven members in chambers, and Chana Kerpanya is uh, remote. Recording in progress. Okay, are we all set with that? Um, that happened a lot at the council meeting, I think, the other night at some meeting. Um, hey, Beth, we're calling the meeting to order. It's the May 12th budget hearing. And as I said, we have a quorum, seven in chambers, one remote. And with that, I'll ask if there's any public comments. Hearing none, we'll now move on to the approval of minutes. There are no minutes to approve, so we'll dispense with that pretty quickly. And the next thing is to resume our budget hearing. Tonight we have education. And we're starting off with Franklin Public Schools and we're doing Clyde County and then Norfolk A. So uh, without further ado, uh, Sarah, you want to come up from sure. your team and introduce yeah. any members you'd like to? Um, Happy to. Any quick Absolutely. Uh, so through the chair, uh, just as a quick lead in. Um, so uh, account 300, I just want to point out uh, Franklin Public School District. Um, we're doing anticipate uh, the superintendent of uh, Tri-County uh, attending as well uh, at some point uh, a little bit uh, but I just want to do a quick overview so in the proposed town administrator's budget uh, in account 300 um, this will get uh, this is, we're proposing a 2.4 million dollar um, increase over FY22 um, which uh, notably is able to get the uh, Franklin Public School District over the 70 million uh, appropriation mark. Uh, I do want to note this is the uh, amount requested uh, by the superintendent and school committee. I think the superintendent uh, and school business officer will go through a few more of the details about how they're going to meet uh, the rest of their need for the fiscal year coming up. Um, but a lot of people have asked me recently, how? How do, how do we do this from uh, several months ago uh, where things might have looked a little more bleak and there's really two reasons for it well there's more but the two really most important ones are number one uh, as we look through the revenues that were coming through the end of March of this year uh, and that uh, regulations uh, were coming off the books from COVID um, we looked at the trends with revenues particularly as we've talked about at this meeting before hotel revenues and some of the other licensing uh, revenues coming through the building commissioner, motor vehicle excise, um, as well as uh, the new cannabis uh, sales tax that's in place. We still do not have a great figure on that fully for a full year, but looking out into FY23 and talking to the, um, the stores that are in town, uh, there is optimism that those revenues will stay uh, at least consistently on the upward trend. And the second reason is um, what's highlighted today, and Miriam can also speak to this, um, I'm being serious, this isn't the biggest reason, but it did really crystallize for me earlier. Health insurance is another reason why we were able to be here tonight. Um, uh, I know we, we talked about it the other night in the benefits budget, but we had a benefits there today. It was our first in three years. Um, the, uh, the human resources director on the town side, Karen Bratt, um, and the school HR office um, really started this four years ago. It's a great service for employees where you bring in all the benefits vendors into, into the library and employees can stop by and have good old fashioned face-to-face -face discussions with representatives of our uh, benefits programs. Um, but one of the things that um, you'll notice in the budget is the town health insurance benefits line item went up 
a marginal amount. The reason why that's happening is because a lot of our employees are, are taking advantage of the health savings account high deductible offering. And it couldn't have been any more evident to me today than we were up at the benefits fair um, and seeing a lot of our employees actually helping other employees coming into the room um, and educating them on the health uh, savings account plan, um, which we've said for years we're all on and it's a smart decision, um, but it really helps save uh, the town, the schools, and the employee uh, on their premiums. And uh, this year in particular, just being up there earlier, I have to give a plug uh, to our good friend Joe Corey, who uh, was, was, was probably, uh, who, who barely took a break or a breath. Um, he's been a part of our insurance advisory committee of all of our units. And um, Joe has been a great troubadour, as well as many employees in the police and fire and DPW trying to educate a lot of employees on the numbers for health insurance, how it affects them, how they can benefit from these plans and these ideas. And I would note that um, a lot of uh, the myths of this program have been dispelled. We saw a lot of individuals and employees converting over from the HMO plan to the health savings account today. There's numbers in the budget narrative that track this out in terms of the success, but it was really encouraging to see a lot of employees show up for a face-to-face -face exercise today. And I talked to a few of employees too and helped educate them. We're also seeing a lot of employees converting to that at the age of 26, um, where a lot of uh, younger employees are coming off their parents' plan. It's a change of life event. Um, and I just wanna give uh, a huge thanks to uh, Miriam, uh, the school HR office, Sue and Lisa, as well as uh, our uh, incredible human resources director, Karen Brad, for organizing these over the last couple of years. And it was great to have face-to-face, -face, and we saw a lot of people signing up and converting over to that high deductible plan. I would note, um, uh, despite urban myth, um, the, uh, the vast majority of employees actually never hit the deductible, uh, the high deductible. And that's a key feature in part of the way that we're educating the employees about why that plan is even more financially advantageous for them um, and why in the long run, particularly if you're a younger employee, um, we all tell them our stories. I wish I had that option 25 years ago. I know Miriam does too. We all, we all would be able to, you know, uh, at 65, be able to have a nice nest egg um, there. And so um, those are really the two big reasons why over the last couple months we were able to really shift the dynamics in the budget and be able to meet the uh, school department and school committee's request uh, for their budget. So uh, thank you, uh, appreciate the, uh, the ability to have a few comments before the school department goes, and now I'll be happy to obviously turn it over to you. Thank you, Jamie. Dr. Hunt? Thank you, um, nice to see everybody this evening. Thanks for having us. I'm joined by Miriam Goodman, our school business administrator, and also here at the table is Dave McNeil, who is uh, on the school committee and the chair of the budget subcommittee, Denise Spencer, Chair of School Committee, Dave Callahan, and uh, School Committee member Elise Stokes are also in the audience and want to be sure to recognize them. Um, so in your packet and in the budget materials from the town administrator, you have our executive summary of the, super, the school committee's approved budget at this point. Uh, and I would just um, say a few remarks to preface it and then we'd be happy to uh, answer questions and 
hear your comments. Uh, if I could impress upon you um, what school is like these days, um, it may feel or seem like uh, things are back to normal, so to speak. Um, masks are encouraged or recommended at this point in time, but no longer required, uh, as one example. Um, and a lot of our um, pandemic um, responses and protocols have lessened over time, um, but we are still, uh, of course, dealing with some of the educational after effects of having disrupted schooling and so this budget um, really thinks towards um, the future and our graduates and what they're going to need for their futures and success um, while recognizing too that uh, disrupted schooling um, has taken its toll on both uh, students academically as well as their mental health needs. Um, we are also looking to be very strategic in our application of operating funds uh, and how we're applying our operating funds to meet student needs uh, while also uh, strategically spending um, some of our remaining uh, re relief funding, the ESSER funding, which allows us to spend uh, for two more years uh, into FY24. Um, and so um, those relief funds I think have been really helpful in shoring up um, resources for kids and uh, are leaving us at this point in a position of being able to um, put forward uh, and support this budget. We appreciate the town administrator's support of a $2.4 million increase. Uh, typically, um, and this was presented in his, um, his summary back in March, you know, typically we're looking at a three to a $3.4 million increase uh, in the school depart department budget uh, year over year to meet um, contractual uh, demands and other budget drivers. Um, but we are also uh, looking to make some um, prepaying tuition, uh, additional application of revolving funds, as well as we're keeping very careful, careful tabs on our enrollment and making sure that our staffing uh, adjusts to that. Um, we do have some um, investment initiatives, so to speak, to the tune of $1.3 million in this budget. Um, if I could uh, just summarize where we are and put it in context for you, our enrollment overall has been decreasing for some time. The elementary schools have leveled off and are relatively stable. Um, we're seeing enrollment decreases now uh, making its way through the middle school and the high school. Um, this is a common trend and a common pattern that's happening across a lot of districts. Um, at the same time though, what we're seeing is an increased level of need among our students, more diversity among our students, more neurodiversity among our students, um, more students who are um, not English speakers uh, as their first language, and so many of the additions to this budget in terms of positions um, meet students' um, special education needs um, or uh, are targeted towards uh, supporting uh, the required English language development uh, teaching. Um, that they need um, in order to become uh, English proficient. Um, we are also, um, as I said, attending to students' academic needs coming out of the pandemic, and so there's uh, additional support with, for example, a literacy specialist uh, who works hand-in-hand -hand with our teachers uh, um, to uh, make sure that students' um, literacy skills are developing and that we're catching kids who are falling behind with that and um, putting in interventions to help them um, be reading on grade level. Um, we also have um, some curriculum leadership in order to shore up some guaranteed and viable curriculum at our middle schools. Um, 
we also um, recognize uh, students' mental health needs, social emotional needs, and so with operating funds, we're maintaining um, an increased level of staffing in terms of counselors uh, to make sure that we're attending to students' mental health in that way. Um, we are also seeing um, some additional behaviors among the children, um, so we're um, uh, putting in an additional assistant principal uh, at the Keller Elementary School uh, in terms of adjusting to that larger school population, having had Davis there and Keller Elementary School merged together this past year. And uh, we feel like that's going to um, provide a lot of support to every single teacher and every single student uh, in that school. Um, so that's just kind of a high-level summary of some of the areas uh, of need that we're seeing. Um, and I guess to reiterate, um, we are also um, carefully looking at our revolving funds to make sure that we're um, spending those appropriately and putting those towards the budget um, in order to um, put forward this uh, request uh, to the FinCom and then to the Town Council. Um, do you, you want to add anything to that? Um, thank you for having us this evening. Um, just really like to reiterate that um, the just the wonderful work that Sarah and Miriam have done putting this budget together. It's a fiscally responsible budget. I believe um, about two months ago when we were all here for a joint, um, joint budget subcommittee, now you pointed out we saw that the projected um, level funding across the town and already the budget that um, Miriam and Sarah had put together was, you know, the request was below that level funding. And so I think it really reiterates just how much we are doing with this budget to provide for the necessary and targeted services to Franklin students while still being responsible to the Franklin taxpayers. As um, Sarah just mentioned, what we're investing in are truly needs that are very specific right now, particularly with our students um, coming out of the pandemic and looking forward and really maximizing all that we're doing with our investment initiatives and really meeting the moment exactly what Franklin students need right now and ensuring that we are addressing that. So, yeah, thank you for your consideration. I ask for your support. Uh, I have some questions, but I'll defer it to the end, so I'll kick it around to members of the committee if you have any questions for the school. So you talk a little bit about declining enrollment. Um, so is some of what's happening in salaries and whatnot, and you talked about specifically addressing the needs of, specifically addressing the needs of the students, is some of the transition that's happening is, are you having to shift potentially like teachers down in some situations, but then enhancing other areas? Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're looking to do. So we're keeping tabs on enrollment and through kind of resignations or retirements, making some strategic decisions as to whether or not that position is going to be replaced, um, while always keeping in line with school committee guidelines related to class size. So we want to make sure that we're, we're following that. Um, and so we're making some of those decisions. Um, but at the same time, you'll see kind of the salary area, it does increase, I mean, there's some contractual obligations, um, but there are also positions that we kind of need to make sure we're adding in order to support those needs and enhance um, services for students based on um, what they're presenting to us. Got it, okay, thank you, that's a good clarification. So I think that would be kind of people's questions is like, why is it enrolling, but we're seeing things increase? So I think that's a important differentiation of what's happening. Yeah, and it's, I think um, that's a message that I've heard from other superintendents and other school committees and other communities. I think it's something that is really pretty common and reflective of where we are. Thank you. You're welcome. Any, anything else? 
good. Yeah, a few things. How many teachers do we actually have? I think Marion probably has that number, 503. I think you'll see that our teachings, our, our uh, educator staff overall has remained reasonably level. Our classroom teachers have declined um, to keep up with enrollment trends, as you've just heard. Um, but our uh, needs have shifted to meet the needs of students. And so, as Dr. Ahern just mentioned, we have more specialized positions like counselors, psychologists, nurses, um, to meet the needs of students at this point in time. I did a little digging today. And just curiosity, I know there's no easy answers. Since 2012, the 10-year period, the enrollment has dropped 24 plus percent. The budget has gone up 29 percent. And our contribution um, has gone from the, you know, the town's contribution, I guess, has gone from $8,600 a student to $15,055. Or thereabouts. I, I know there's no quick answer to what. When you think about it, when the student population dropped 25 percent and the budget has gone up 30 percent, up 30 percent. It's kind of, you know, if you look at them this way, one's, one, well, whatever. I feel like it's <laughs> one's going up at a rapid rate and the other one's going down at a rapid rate. As an old person looking at this, uh, I, I wonder how, there is no easy answer, I assume. Is there? And I understand costs have gone crazy, particularly lately, but that is a kind of a dramatic change in how, how we do it. I think a lot's changed in 10 years, um, and I think it gets a little bit of what was just asked um, related to staffing. Um, staffing is our number one area of expense, and um, a lot has changed. I think there are more expectations on schools now than ever. Um, you know, some of the positions that we've added um, that would drive up some of those costs include nurses, additional nursing staff, uh, additional counselors, additional school psychologists. Um, those are some of the positions that we've added and are proposing to keep. I'm requesting to keep because um, we are still in the aftermath of the pandemic um, and we are still um, responding there. Um, as Miriam had said, classroom teachers has gone down, um, kind of commensurate with student enrollment going down and we really do keep tabs on class size. Um, but the needs have just, I think, exponential, exponentially increased and there's a lot of expectations on schools. We're where in the past um, other social agencies, other social services might um, might take that on uh, out in the community, but there's um, less of those services and less of those resources uh, out, and so it, it does at times feel like everybody's turning to the schools um, to really uh, address and attend to all of those needs. I would also share too um, that we have, as I mentioned, more neurodiversity. Um, we have more students that are presenting with different 
um, learning profiles and um, special education um, identifications and diagnoses that need very specialized services. Um, we are, to Dave's point, very fiscally responsible, and Miriam's done some of the numbers around um, our specialized programs and, and having students in Franklin in our specialized programs. And uh, first and foremost, uh, it's great for the kids because they are um, staying in their home community. Um, it is great for all students um, to um, build um, more awareness and friendship and inclusivity with, um, with their peers, um, but it is also fiscally responsible. Um, the, state has, the state has said that what is adequate to educate a child has gone up. It's, got, it's increased and they um, redid their formula back in 2015-ish in acknowledgement of rising healthcare costs and the additional expense it takes to educate students um, for whom English is not a first language, special education students, and students um, from low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so those are some of the factors in it. And as I, I could go on and on and on, because to your, yeah, you know, I, you answered, in some ways, it's not an easy answer. Um, we also have escalating healthcare costs. We're fortunate this year, um, but there have been times where healthcare costs in one year have been upwards of eight, nine, 10%. Um, we also have um, escalating transportation costs um, and out-of-district tuitions, which we don't have a lot of control over. Um, so the students, we do try to, um, we have every student in the least restrictive environment. We, like I said, have been you know, actively building uh, some programs to keep students in district, but there are times where the team makes the decision for a student to go out of district and they are um, tuitioned out and the increase of those tuitions is actually something that's not very much in our control. Uh, fortunately, the state has uh, helped out with respect to um, circuit breaker reimbursement and that's been pretty stable lately. That's a commitment from the state related to the Student Opportunity Act is that circuit breaker reimbursement being um, fully funded at 75%. Um, but those out of district tuitions are, are some of the escalating costs that we see that we really don't have a lot of uh, control over. Um, but we do our best, uh, always keeping in mind that we want the student in the most appropriate placement. The other thing that I looked at today was there's a lot of talk every time about the, uh, contribution per pupil. Uh, we're at around what? 15,000? What's interesting is if you look at the DESI, I think it's the DESI website, one of the state websites, and you take out the absurd outliers, the example, Provincetown spends $45,000 per, per student, $45,000 per 15. And you take out below, one that you know the small districts out in the western part of the state, New Salem and you know, all that stuff, which are eight, eight or nine or ten, and then you take out the bottom you know, twenty-five when you work your way back up to Western Coast and Dover, Sherman, and you know, suddenly it doesn't look all that out of line with the rest of them. I mean, you got to get rid of those, and that's just an absurd. Uh, uh, when I was reading, I said, how can anybody even compare that list to anything? And yet, it seems to be a question people ask all the time. How much per person? 
he's got something. I, I just think, um, Goose Jair, you, you raise a good point in, in the global sense. Uh, somebody shoots the messenger on this one, but there's a stat for every argument, and I think you can move it a lot of different ways around to make uh, a cogent point about a dynamic. And you're raising one, others would say other things. Um, and uh, I agree when you look at P-Town or others and you see these distorted statistics, it's the same thing we go through every year with tax rates. Why does Wellesley and Cambridge have the lowest tax rates in the state? They love pitching that. Uh, people go, huh? It's because they also have the highest home values in the state of Massachusetts. And so, um, and so that's why I try to always focus on the dollar amounts in terms of where the money is, what the quantity of total dollars is, we've, we've joked about percentages before, and why we don't want to distort what's happening. And I think those are real dollars that are obviously getting poured into the school district um, that um, is being split up. And I think, I think we do get really bogged down in, in data points. Uh, where do we rank? You know, what's the number? Where are we going up or down? And, um, and that's why I traditionally resisted percentages all over the place because it's a statistic that deviates from, I think, some of the important points is, what is it that the Franklin Public School District needs to adequately educate a child to achieve the goals of what the school committee and superintendent are looking for those children to get when, in a few weeks when they graduate and they go out into the world, how are we preparing that student? And that's a difficult, substantive, dense conversation uh, that oftentimes uh, you know, we don't have the time for. And so we rely on statistical bullet points to try to frame things in a way that, you're right, George, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of folks watching on Franklin TV saying $45,000 a student, well, they're getting a raw deal. But you know, it's really a, a, a statistic that is, it comes to fruition from a whole different set of metrics. So um, you know, I, I can see your point, and um, you know, there's always a statistic for everybody to make up their, their argument. Yeah, much the same, figures don't lie, the liars fit here. <laughs> uh, may, may fit in here. They call me a liar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I think it's a good point about profits in particular is an outlier, so we can do you know where New Salem is? Did you look on actually, the map? I've actually been there once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't go swimming. It's out in the berserk she is. It's not going. Quantum. Uh the only other <laughs> this is a pet peeve. Okay, and I admit it. My, my sister lives across the street, or did. From between the high school and Arsenal and Arsenal. And I watched bus after bus after bus after bus go by with six kids, 10 kids, in a 55-seat bus. And then I get, I want Sherman Ave to get to the stopping shop. Easiest way is up Panther Way and out. No, because you don't have to go through the stupid license. Sure. I don't think. Does anybody take a bus besides a few? Because there are 8 million SUVs blocking every road for an hour. And I realize this is just pet peeve. I'm sure that, and I figured I'd 
Why not? No, it's a good, I think it's a good question, and we can talk certainly about um, buses and routing and um, efficiencies that we that we do. I'm curious if that's at the end of the day versus arrival. Yeah, no, that's or is it dismissal? I'm not up early. <laughs> so I think if you're seeing that at dismissal, what I think that's a reflection of is just the success of our after-school programs and the clubs and activities and athletics and music and arts that happens after school. Um, so I think if you saw a rival, you'd see a different um, a different image in terms of um, how many students are taking the bus. And Miriam works with the transportation department to do the routing. Yeah, and I would also say, you know, we're transporting 2,600 kids on 30 buses. Um, 2,600? Yeah. It used to be more, but I think the pandemic has decreased ridership um, as families have preferred to do the drop-off, which is why you're seeing more cars and such. Um, I think people uh, have been, um, you know, just reluctant to be enclosed in the space, have their child be enclosed in the space for a long duration. I w and I would also add, you know, you might be seeing late buses on the way home at, you know, 3.15 or thereabouts, and those buses run with very few students, but it's, a, it's an opportunity for students to participate in clubs and have a place, uh, have a ride home. Uh, but this year we were only able to run two late buses out of the high school, uh, instead of five that we run through the middle schools as well. Uh, so that might be what you're seeing. Um, our elementary buses, I, I would agree with you when, I, when you say they're not full, but they certainly have you know, more than five or six kids on them. Um, and there are other buses that pass through Franklin to get to different places as well. So. And we want to be mindful, too, of the length of the route. So that's Absolutely. another factor. Um, and so that also is something that kind of controls how many students might be, might be riding on the bus. What I will say is I've had some calls, um, maybe not this year again because ridership's down, but in the past with people concerned that there's too many kids on their bus. So um, we do try to try to run uh, as efficiently as possible. One number that I, I was surprised at, frankly, in that I gotta get a life. I'm not looking at numbers. Uh, the administrative cost for Franklin is relatively low in, as compared to on the Desi list, and I don't. I'm calling it the Desi list. I don't know what 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 she what it was, mm -hmm. um, which frankly surprised me a little bit. Um, Doesn't surprise me at all. Guy over there, but it was. Uh, I don't remember the number, but it was. It was better than most. That's the one we ought to do instead of the stupid fifteen thousand. That one makes sense. That one does make sense. No, I think if you look at um, other communities our size, they have um, a lot more administrative support um, in the central office. And if I could really quickly on that point, you know, certainly not my decision to make, um, you know, but, you know, to that point that the superintendent just made about comparables, uh, and we've just went through this ourselves, and we talked about staffing levels last night in public safety. Um, you know, there is at times needed investments to make a community of this size and an organization of this size move forward. And so uh, I appreciate you very much pointing that out because we are not a very top-heavy organization. <laughs> uh, 
um, and I can speak working in this building every day. Um, you know, um, the, the dedication and the talent uh, of the central office and administrative staff for both the municipal and the school side uh, is certainly elite. Um, but um, when I watch folks moving around, clicking buttons, payroll, all these different aspects of things, um, you know, it, it is something that as we move forward and continue to grow, particularly as the district does, uh, it's something that we're going to have to monitor for sure. Because at some point, you just need to make investments. Um, and we're a uh, very bottom-heavy organization. We invest in police officers. We're trying to move the ball down the field on that. Same thing with paramedics. Same thing with teachers. Same thing with cafeteria workers. Whatever the dynamic is, but as we continue to grow, um, you know, there is going to be a need for some administrative staff, and I, I hope the community can certainly rally around that to support those investments when they're there. Thank you. I think. Any questions, Tyrell? Yeah, I was just curious, just track, how do you track kind of that those need changes, um, you know, whether that's kind of the number of students that are now on IEPs or different programs, kind of, how do you do that in order to allocate those resources? And is that something where, just to kind of offset the, the idea that the decline in enrollment's been down 25%, kind of, if the needs are there, is there kind of a similar figure you could show saying, you know, well, that's the, the needs are up 300% and we can show that they're being used because they're, you know, the, the school counselors are always busy or whatever that might be. It would just be very good to kind of understand how that works. Sure. Um, so the budget development process is really a team, uh, a team effort. Um, you know, certainly the school committee plays a part um, and they have uh, kind of a monitoring focus uh, on our efforts. Um, we also have an administrative team who works with, in particular, their school councils if they're building administrators, and school councils are um, designed as governance bodies to kind of put budget um, requests forward and, and to talk about matters of governance, including budgetary needs. Um, and then we also have our central office administrators, two of whom are here tonight, uh, Lucas Jagir, assistant superintendent and uh, Paul Morano, who is our Director of Student Services. And there's a lot of data gathered, in particular in the area of student services, um, around um, numbers of students and the um, services that they need, and counseling staff, and I know she reviews um, schedules and caseloads. We talked about caseloads at a recent um, school committee meeting. Uh, just to sort of monitor, we talk about class sizes, but they're also looking at caseloads. Um, and the numbers don't tell everything, um, particularly when you look at a, in a child's IEP, you have to look at the services and the minutes of um, specialized instruction that they're receiving. Uh, so they're monitoring and gathering and capturing a lot of data in the Office of Student Services. And uh, through the budget development process, we um, it's very iterative. Uh, they put forward um, you know, requests um, and we have kind of a back and forth on uh, making and deciding and determining what some priorities would be. Uh, similarly, in the English language, um, in the English language learning department, where um, there's data collected um, when students enter, they take a home language survey, we keep track of their language proficiency, there are uh, annual assessments um, through the state called ACCESS to see how they're progressing in terms of their English language development. Um, and we um, keep track, we have um, a person who um, works part-time 
Um, a retired administrator works part-time uh, to help um, coordinate that program, and um, she knows all of the students, um, their uh, language proficiency levels, what languages they speak, how they're progressing, um, and so there's, uh, there's a lot of data there. Um, and then scheduling the teachers around that and how many minutes of instruction they're supposed to get uh, are all things that we keep tabs on. We had a very big conversation this year in particular about the English language learners. We've been very, very stable in the district with 70, roughly 70 students uh, every year. This year it spiked. Uh, we're close to 100 English language learners in the district now. And we're seeing more students who are um, newcomers uh, or um, beginners in terms of their language proficiency, and we're seeing more students with limited or interrupted formal education. So that requires an additional, uh, as you might imagine, additional services um, to provide uh, to those students. And that's a trend um, that uh, I could foresee continuing. Um, you know, districts um, are um, bringing um, refugees into, uh, into the schools, and so um, I could see that uh, as a trend that continues uh, going forward. So we do have some additional staffing um, there. So there's a lot of data collected by various, um, by various offices, and it, it kind of all gets considered when we think about where the priorities are. Uh, in the budget. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, a few items set up for me. Uh, the first one is a relatively small item. It was a new item this year. I just don't recall what it's for. It's uh, 12.30, function code, district administration. So I'm going to pop an FP, it's 27,000, 28.4. Yep, so, so that is um, for the split position for the marketing and communication specialist. Part of that is funded by the school department, and the other part is funded by the town. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and she's, um, in part responsible that I can just that she produces um, in addition to helping us with some communications. And uh, a couple of other items. One is, um, you know, going through the budget, you know, especially the student service section, one thing for me is glaring. Well, I know it's going to come back to probably federal money or something. The school services. There's nothing there. Oh, yep. You are spot on. It comes back to the federal government. Um, Karen, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so, so student services uh, is, is partially being funded uh, through a circuit breaker reimbursement for tuition. Um, and so that offset is higher next year um, by about $310,000 or thereabouts. Um, we've also um, been in a, we're in a position now to be able to prepay some tuition for next year, so we've reduced that line item at, uh, accordingly. Uh, so that is really the reason why that budget has decreased. Um, other uh, items that are being funded on um, some of our federal grant money um, are going to be for um, for our SO3 funding that's coming up in the next couple of years um, for specialized classrooms for um, expansion of our goals program. Um, they, um, we have a new dyslexia program that we're looking at. Uh, there's uh, a, a program for uh, youth that transition back into schools after, uh, for example, a hospitalization placement. Uh, so we have some counselors in there and. and um, all of those things are impacting um, where our new positions may end up because they're going to be um, funded through this federal grant. So, 
So the, the food program then specifically is is that the National School Lunch food. Program or? Yeah. 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 So did you say food? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, food service. I, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you said student service. I heard student services. So the food service line, food services is um, a, a self-supporting program. So when students pay for lunch, that money is used for to support the program overall. Um, when in the past two years, lunch has been free because of the pandemic and breakfast as well. So the reimbursements that are coming in from the federal government are a little bit higher, in fact, than they have ever been. Uh, because of the pandemic, so so generally we don't have any money supporting from the budget to support the food service program. It is self-sufficient. Uh, the the few items that you see there were uh, pieces of equipment that might have been purchased towards the end of the year that that we needed um, at, at one point in time. So I, I'm sorry for my okay. misunderstanding. I heard the word food services. And are you going to bring up uh, uh, this situation in a moment? But just a follow-up on the food thing. Even though there's nothing there, like the rec department is what they self-fund also, mm -hmm. but we see a budget for them. Mm -hmm. So just what is the cost school system-wide for uh, food service? Now that'd be the cafeteria people and their salaries. And yeah, just that, the cost of that's about a $1.5 million operation overall. Mm -hmm. And so the government covers even their salaries and health insurance costs. Well, you're saying actually the, the kids' fees between between well so the meals have been free this year and last year so that cost was um, picked up um, in whole by the uh, federal government for reimbursements um, on a on any given year it's either through fees a portion uh, of the reimbursement from the government which generally tends to be about four to six hundred thousand dollars um, depending on the number of meals served, um, and then any other revenue that we might take in from um, other types of catering events, which you know we don't we don't do a lot of that. We focus primarily on um, uh, feeding students, um, but uh, but that's that's generally um, where where that lies. I mean, we're looking at about a 1.5 million dollar operation, um, and with um, Right now, we don't anticipate that lunches and breakfasts are going to be free next year because the USDA hasn't um, extended that opportunity for districts. Uh, it is something that is currently included in the Senate Ways and Means budget that just came out. Um, so we would encourage that to continue to go forward uh, for families. Um, but, but it is a self-supporting self program. OK, thank you. And one quick follow-up to that. Um, the, um, if I recall, in summer of 20 and 21, you don't normally have the school lunch program in the summertime, correct? We do not. But you, you did extend it for those two summers? We did. And, Are you and, doing it for 22? Um, right now, there is not a plan to continue uh, summer programming because we are not being funded for that. Um, because of those two years being funded through the government, uh, we were able to offer that. Uh, at this point, for for the current upcoming summer, we don't have the funding for that program anymore. And one um, one other thing on the out of district tuition, we spoke about this quite a bit about 18 months ago when you know, the schools uh, kicked off our deep dive series. And one thing I, I did notice the circuit breaker funds being applied, so it was actually a big decrease. But in the narrative, you mentioned that 
the budgeted rate increase is like 5%, that's 5% on the existing four and a half million that we're spending in FY22. So without the circuit breaker money, it'd be like 4.8 or something? It's the, the total cost for added district tuition runs about $7.5 million between circuit breaker costs and budget costs. Um, the rate that goes up to 5% are the rates for each um, placement, basically. We don't know what those placement rates are going to be at, you know, January, December, January. Some of them come out at, as of springtime when um, the Office of um, the Operational Services Division uh, identifies them and, and finalizes them for school districts. Um, but we generally uh, look to about a 5% increase for programming. Some are up higher and some are lower. Okay. I think that's all I had. Anything else? That's it. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. I'll let the Franklin folks step back and we'll introduce the Tri Council. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you, Mr. Chairman, um, to the Finance Committee. So, uh, a new addition uh, this year, I think, to these meetings. Uh, we're glad to have um, the new superintendent, Cameron Wire, from uh, the Tri County Vocational School right here in town. Um, as, uh, People know I take pride in trying to build relationships, and uh, once I saw the, the hiring of Superintendent uh, McGuire, I think we might have made an appointment maybe in your second week uh, in the office. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we're really excited uh, to have her here in the staff. Um, and so we invited uh, the superintendent and her staff here. Um, I, not my seven years here in Franklin, and I believe it was some years before that. Um, where we were, uh, where we haven't had any other uh, of the line items that are in the school budget or in the town budget um, uh, here, and it's great to have uh, the superintendent uh, come by and give us an update. Uh, I will note um, that the uh, the amount of money in the budget each year in the town budget for Tri County is set by the regional school agreement, and essentially we get an assessment uh, as part of that region. Um, this is not a number that we have a lot of, we have any discretion over. It is what it is, based on the per pupil uh, expenditures. Um, but more so than just the number that's here today, I think introducing Superintendent McGuire to the Finance Committee and the community, and uh, just as important, and I'm sure she's gonna talk about it, is uh, for years, I'm sure many of you that have been on the Finance Committee have heard about a potential building project up at the school. Um, and uh, Alicia and I are beneficial to go up there and go up to a breakfast uh, earlier last fall where um, uh, the superintendent and the staff up there have made a significant amount of progress uh, on trying to move that forward through MSBA uh, uh, in the future. So i uh, just introduce Superintendent McGuire and take it away. Thank you very much. Welcome very much. I am Karen McGuire, uh, the superintendent at Tri-County, and with me today we have Dan Haynes. He is our uh, business manager at Tri-County, and Dr. Peter Renicki, who is our school committee, one of our school committee reps from the town of Franklin. Uh, we also have Mr. Bozella. He's not able to join us tonight, but he is our second school committee rep from the town of Franklin. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, we are very happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, as as, as uh, Mr. Heller, I think it was my second day on the job. I don't know that it was my second week, and that um, I had the phone call, and uh, and I was very excited to meet him. And, and, and 
Uh, to be honest with you, one of the initiatives that um, that uh, we've taken on this year is to try to come out to each of our 11 communities to meet the uh, town government, the town finance committee. Uh, we are able to get to a few of the town meetings of the 11 communities, but unfortunately some fell on the same night as others, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll be able to do, to do that over the next couple of years. But it is important to us that we build a relationship with each of our towns. Uh, we, we pull from 11 communities, from Sherburne down to North Alabar. We are a school of, right now, about 900 and somewhat students. Uh, next year, the capacity and the enrollment of the school will be at about 1,000 students. Um, and and we, we hope that that continues over the next number of years. Tri-County was built in 1974, opened in 1977. It is a 50-year-old building uh, that has 50-year-old needs. The structure itself, uh, as far as, as uh, upkeep and as far as maintenance, is, it's, it's, uh, they do a great job. The grounds are beautiful. We have a one-man band for the grounds at Tri-County. I don't know if you've walked through or ridden your bike through or anything like that. The grounds are, are really beautiful and we have one man that takes care of that whole that whole uh, piece of, of our community. As far as the structure though, uh, we do know that Tri-County has some growing needs with, with the building. We applied to the MSBA, I say we, meaning Tri-County, I wasn't there when the process started. I think it was 2014. Uh, that the first application went into the Mass School Building Authority to see uh, if we would be able to be invited in for a renovation project. Unfortunately, from 2014 until 2019, the application uh, was not accepted. Uh, but in 2019, Tri-County was invited in as part of the core renovation project uh, with the MSBA. We are at the place now with that project uh, that we, we are in what's called the feasibility study. Uh, which I'm sure you, you know, is, is the place in the study where we're trying to determine what the best process and best action is for the Tri-County building. Uh, we're hoping, our hope is that we have a renovation project. Uh, where We're in the process now of determining whether that's feasible or if it's more economically um, beneficial to the towns to have a, a brand new building. But we simply don't know at this point. Uh, we're about a year away from knowing uh, what, that, what that looks like. The arch architects are there off and on over, over the, the school week, uh, meeting with all of our vocational departments, meeting with the academic departments, meeting with the facilities, and then starting now to do the tests to the systems to see uh, what, what they really look like, including putting cameras down drains and doing more samples and, and things like that. Uh, but again, we're about, we're about a year away uh, from, from where we are. Uh, we do know that significant ADA, uh, um, uh, we need to, for compliance in, in that area, we need to do a lot of work um, and, and so on. Uh, we are having a community forum on June 9th at six o'clock where we're inviting uh, people from our 11 communities to come in, whether, whether it's parents, whether it's prospective parents, whether it's alumni, whether it's town council folks like yourself, town finance committee people like yourselves, uh, to come to Tri-County, uh, see the building, and then hear a little bit more in-depth about the project. Uh, I'll leave the information uh, for you so that you can have the, the um, um, you know, exact time. It's 6 o'clock on, on June 9th, right up the street at Tri-County. Um, as far as our budget, uh, we, we 
as my colleague Dr. Hearn noted, uh, and again, she was also one of the first people uh, to reach out to me when I started at Tri-County, which was wonderful, and she's been a great colleague, and it's been great to have her uh, as someone to call and find out how are the roads, you know, what does Brutus say, what are we going to do yeah. uh, as, as this year has, has gone on. So, uh, But again, we have the same needs as our sister schools with social-emotional uh, situations with the students. Again, we have close to a thousand students, and uh, we try to keep our our thumb on the pulse of what's going on with them. Uh, we are lucky the last couple of years to have about a million dollars in ESSA funding to be able to increase the capacity for addressing mental health and um, social emotional learning and some of the other uh, medical uh, requirements with the COVID pandemic. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but Tri-County is at about 32% special ed students, so certainly uh, that high number of special ed requires special programming, special um, uh, classrooms, and, and, and certainly requirements with individual students and plans. Um, the budget that, that you see here, uh, your portion of the budget here, it uh, represents the 16 career and tech programs that we have at Tri-County. We have everything from legal and protective services to automotive and everything in between. Uh, we're looking at adding cybersecurity as one of the programs for our computer information program and our legal and protective program. And we're also looking at expanding our capacity for adult ed programs, uh, both during the day and at night. Our idea, uh, and I was challenged with this during my interview a year ago, uh, was to see uh, if, if we could really use that building from the time the sun goes up until the time the sun goes down uh, to be able to train people to be in the workforce in this area including adults. So that is one of the areas that we're looking at now. We've just hired a new adult director, uh, and we're looking at what programs with the, um, with the, the, the um, uh, work investment boards and, and the industry needs in this area, what programs we need to add in addition to the ones that we have currently. So we're here to answer questions. We're ha happy to be here, and uh, we look forward to a relationship with you. Come on to the meeting on the 9th. Uh, and if you can't make that meeting and you'd like an individual tour of Tri-County, let us know and we'd be certain to uh, make sure that that happens. With Mr. Haynes, he's a good tour. Thank you very much. Any questions for the superintendent? What do you say, uh, what is the capacity of the current building? Thousands. How many students? A thousand. So you're at almost Belgium. Yeah, yes, and, and the, um, when the study was done to see what the capacity should be for this area, it, it remained at 1,000. So it will stay at 1,000 students. Uh, if, if you look at what the, the square footage should be for that, it, yeah, it is bulging. There is a need for uh, expanding classroom size you know, to accommodate the 1,000 students. And that, that number is some, I assume it's total budget divided by the numbers uh, say this. that represents I think 178 that 157 students 157. Right. Right. Yeah. so what's the per pupil in there without me doing that doing the math so our, our per pupil cost I, I will say that we are 10th from the lowest out of the 26 reporting vocational schools for per pupil spending um, I think that's funny number, so uh, as you heard. Yeah, yeah, we, we got that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the focus, focus. 
talk about. But it varies by community, depending on the wealth of that community, um, the, the per pupil cost. But, but our overall per pupil cost, um, let me see if I can grab that for you. Oh, I, I calculated the Franklin one if it's helpful. It's 16,170, 180. Yes. 16,180. Yeah, so it's just slightly right. high, basically so in line with the. So basically, you divide the, the total budget by the total number of students, and then we get 157 times whatever that number is. Plus and minus. So our per pupil, per pupil expenditures uh, were 20,797 in 2020 in that reporting period, and that's where I can do comparisons to other Vogue schools. So the high is Minuteman at $34,027, and the low is Southern Worcester at $18,744. So we're you know, tenth from the lowest of those 26 reporting. Don't do funny funny one. Who's the largest um, community in the Tri-County District? Which town? Uh, right, the Attleboro's? Uh, right, right, North Attleboro. North, North Attleboro, yeah. So, so Attleboro is not one of the, the towns that makes up Tri-County. Uh, however, uh, up until this, this year, we accepted students from Attleboro because they didn't have the capacity to have the vocational programs in Attleboro. But they've since built their high school and have added 17 career and tech programs. <coughs> Excuse me. So students in Alabama will now stay in Alabama uh, to 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 take their career and tech programs, with the exception of one program. Uh, the law is a little funny of how it works with career and tech ed. Any student in the Commonwealth is entitled to a career and tech education. If their district that they're part of does not have the program that they're interested in, then they have the right under the law, Chapter 74 law, to apply to a different school. So for automotive, for instance, we have automotive at Tri-County. They do not have automotive at Attleboro. So students from Attleboro could still apply to Tri-County if they wanted to be in automotive and if we had openings. Uh, we're at the place this coming year where we don't believe we'll have openings to accept students from outside of the 11 member district. Uh, but if we did, then, then the students from Attleboro uh, or Bellingham or Blackstone or, or we have about 100 students on the waiting list that are from areas outside of our 11, uh, those students would, would be able to uh, come to Tri-County if, if we had openings. So when Attleboro opened their building, did that relieve some pressure off the current 900? I mean, were you higher or has increased enrollment from other towns, kept the, the enrollment pretty much steady? Yeah, so, so it's been interesting. The, the Tri-County uh, has not been at capacity the last couple of years, last three years, three years or so. Uh, but now this year we expect to be back to capacity. So it has, in, in one way, uh, helped the situation in that students within the district will, will have the seats that are available to them. Uh, and it's also uh, not a situation where we have, have to really turn any, anyone away that's in our own district. One, one quick uh, question. I'm going back to the building. Um, you might have mentioned this, but I didn't get it. The time frame for when you expect to have a proposal for the number of communities, you know, whether you build new or you build out or whatever. Yeah. So we're looking at we're looking at knowing having the uh, MSBA meeting uh, in early 2023 for them to narrow it down, and then uh, about what they're telling us is that. Um, June, July or so of 2023 for us to be able to know what the preferred design is. So it's about a year from now that we'll have yeah, preferred, um, preferred design, the MSBA design. I'm not sure 
who up front should, could answer this, or Jamie or Chris could. Uh, when we build a school, we really have no choice but to go to a two and a half override because it costs so much. You know, the building authority reimburses a certain percent, but not 100%. Is that correct? That's right. Even, yeah. for, even for vocational schools? So interesting that you, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So we, we the, right now the reimbursement rate for vocational school is the same as it is for comprehensive school. We are, as a community, vocational community, uh, working with our legislate, legislative group with our organization that's called MAVA to try to see if we can get an increased reimbursement for vocational schools. Because of the types of programs that we have, it, you know, these, you know, an automotive shop or a welding shop or carpentry shop with all of the equipment needs, all of the space needs, uh, all of the things like this, we uh, really believe that the reimbursement should be higher for career and tech schools. Right now, there are eight career and tech schools in the Commonwealth in the MSBA pipeline, and those eight schools represent about 100 communities. So those 100 communities uh, would benefit if we were to, to get the MSBA in to increase the reimbursement for career and tech uh, schools. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, do the 11 towns have to go to an override group? And so what happens if one votes no or another vote no? So the way the vote works is that the, the vote that the towns would, that again, in 2023, once we're we'll at this place, the, the towns would vote on whether or not they support the project. That's what they would vote on initially. Then it's up to each individual town how they would want to finance it, whether it's an override, whether they you know, decide to fund it directly, whatever they decide to do. Um, it's up to each individual town. But the one vote that will happen uh, it, at first is whether or not the towns as a whole, the 11 towns together, support the project. The finance piece is, is a separate one per town. Does that have to be unanimous support for all of it, or a so it's a, a popular? It's a, a vote among the the um, the residents. It's a resident vote. So in it would be majority vote of the voters of the residents. Okay. The, the vote takes place on the same day for, for all communities. All eleven communities would vote at the same time. Okay. I don't think that's ever happened since I've been here. But. No. Something usually happened at all, usually <laughs> 40 or 50 years. <laughs> and, and given that MSBA just came into existence a little under 20 years ago, you know, this is probably the first time that most of the vocational schools are going through their first, you know, in, probably in our careers only, right. MSBA yeah. process. So. so they were all built relatively the same time, yeah. so it makes sense that they're aging out at the same time. Right. And it makes sen yeah. sense that all the superintendents and them are retiring at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any questions for the, the superintendent, David? Just um, on the adult ed, so first of all, love it. I've been teaching for at least five years there, doing classes. I think it's a great program. Is that, uh, if you want to expand it, is that something that is uh, to try to, do you guys make money off of that? Is that, is that the intention, or is it just a cost covering thing? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, not yet. So we hope to. You know, we, we would like to be able to get to a place where that where that is, but not certainly not. We don't want to be a for-profit, you, know, um, um, you know, institution like that. But what, what we're hoping to be able to do is to make enough money to help offset some of the pro program equipment costs, uh, to help, you know, we need fields. There's a lot of things that we, that we need to do at the school, and we're hoping to be able to use some of that capital 
uh, as capacity to address some of those needs and then not pass it on to the taxpayers. I think it would be, because yeah, again, from doing the classes and you know, our class costs 15, 20, but we, we don't get the money, obviously. We're not, we didn't even know what they were charging for the class. I think it would be good if you're gonna, when you're doing that, to let the community or whoever's know what the money's for. Because right. I think people would be um, probably okay with saying, well, it's gonna go towards these programs, go towards that, as opposed to, because I think most people just think, it's going to whoever's doing the funds. Right. They wouldn't oh, know okay. any I see what you're saying. Right. You know, like, because they think they come in, it's like, no, no, we're, and we try to tell them, it's like, this is going to the school. Yeah. Um, but they don't know that when they come in, and I think they would be more willing to, you know, kind of put money towards classes there if, if they knew what it was for. Yes, okay, that's an excellent point. Any other questions, Natalie? I had a couple of questions. One was actually related to the adult education. I also was wondering if it was self-educating or self-funding. I've heard great things about it. Um, I know someone who took the welding class and is like, now yeah, welder is fantastic. Um, how are you planning on increasing awareness? Because I think the only reason I knew about it was because of that one person who I happen to know. Yeah, so that's a great question too. We had a meeting about that today. Um, so there, that we do need to, once we, once we're, once we're in a place where we know what we're doing for, for the classes and, and how we're going to expand it, we certainly do need to. Um, I think what we've discovered is that our, our biggest our biggest um, contributor to people knowing about the classes is through social media and through the school's website. We know we need to work on both of those things. The the, the current practice was to send out a brochure to a 25 mile radius, and the brochure was uh, how many pages and. Dan came in and put it on like, we're not gonna do that again because it's getting <laughs> too much money to print it and it's too much money to, so we're, we're going to now a card with a QR code that links to the brochure so it'll save us about $40,000 and so forth. But, but um, the marketing piece of it is part of the planning that we're doing now once we know which programs we'll be able to expand to offer okay. in addition to the current ones that we have. Okay. Um, and then the other question I had um, too is about the feasibility study as well. Is the plan, if you have to, I know you said your preference is to renovate, if it does end up being that a rebuild makes more sense, would the option be to do it at the same site? So our district agreement with the 11 communities uh, does state that the school will be in Franklin. Um, the site, the site, um, but, we don't have, I don't know, the site, we don't, we don't have room on the site unless we're building it like a Lego set where we put part here and move part there and there are solar panels on, on part of the property. Uh, the property slopes down in two areas. Uh, yeah, uh, we're hoping to not to, to not get there, but if we do, it would be it would be on the same site some way. Okay. Um, and then I think you might have mentioned this, but the acceptance percentage. I feel like you said that everybody wants to get in good time, but maybe I didn't hear that right. Is is it yeah. what's the yeah, what's the acceptance percentage? So the, it's hard to say the percentage. The it depends. We're still accepting applicants right now and it's by town. So so the way that the um, the way that the admissions work is that whatever percentage of the eighth grade cohort your town represents, that's the percentage of ninth grade seats you're entitled to at Tri County. So so just to, to make it easy, you have a thousand kids in eighth grade between the eleven communities, and uh, you know five hundred of them are, are uh, Franklin kids. Then, and at Tri County, we have three hundred seats in ninth grade. You would be entitled to one hundred and fifty seats in ninth grade, and then that's proportionate among the eleven. We do have some towns that that do not fill 
their capacity for seats. Like Sherburne, for instance. Uh, we have two students from Sherburne. I think that their seat capacity is something like, I don't know, 50. So, 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 or, or 40. So, so the other seats now go back to the general pool of the students that are left from the towns that have exceeded their seat capacity. So, yes. yeah. So then, it, so it's based on the eighth grade. How is the pool for the eighth grade determined? percentage? Yes, yeah, so it's the number of eighth graders on this, we use the state, the Department of Ed's like indicator for how many students there are in grade eight in the 11 towns. So it would be that, that pool. So it includes kids that are at private schools, kids that are at home school, kids that are at um, the, the charter schools and, and so forth. So whatever that eighth grade pool is, is your percentage of that would be your percentage of the 300 seats in grade nine. Got it, okay, makes sense. You get it because you're the finance committee. Other committees that are like, <laughs> <laughs> they're not, they're not, they don't, it's hard to follow that one a little bit. Yeah, so, and it's that, and that's not, a, that's not every vocational school's agreement. Some, it, it's a, a ranking system of um, application. They take grades, attendance, behavior of all of the students that, that have applied. And it, it could be that no students from a certain time get in. So it's, uh, some, some are different than others, but that's the way it is for Tri-County. Thank you. Anything else? I have Michael. So you mentioned it was agreed upon by the 11 communities that the site is in Franklin. Does Franklin get some kind of financial benefit for having it located here? I guess, um, what's the background behind that decision? You know, I don't, so we have these scrapbooks that we found in a, in a cat, it's the, a true story, I think I showed them, yeah. did I show them to you? Yeah. So they're the articles from the newspaper in 1973 and 74 when the towns were fighting over where to have the school. Um, there was a site in Medfield, there was a site in Franklin, there was a site in North Attleboro, there was a site, um, I want to say in Medway, if I didn't say that already, but, but it just kind of went on, oh no, Walpole was the other one. And, and, and then it was decided to put the school on the hill in, in Franklin, and I don't know what the benefit is to... There's not a that. direct benefit, yeah. but no, there's, indirect benefit. Okay. there's indirect benefits as far as teaching staff utilizing the business opportunities in town. Um, but yet a direct financial benefit, you probably couldn't draw a story. I'm just thinking, you know, school there, roads, you know, our infrastructures, our police, and, and everything. It seems like a lot of uh, a tilt in Franklin's direction for those costs, I guess. Yeah, we do pay for for a resource officer as a Franklin police officer. Yeah. Uh, through sure. So um, I would say um, I would say you know number one, when schools were built back then for vocational schools, um, you know they didn't you know the town was you know a fraction of the size of what it is now. Most communities were. Um, not so sure in, in that era, um, the projects uh, were really the same. They didn't really look at mitigation like we do today, stormwater, all these other things. Um, although I will say under the stormwater law, the, the Tri-County will obviously have to pay its share just like everybody else with the utility. Um, and so they're gonna do their part. Um, I would say that I think the biggest benefit uh, for sure for Franklin um, uh, is the presence of the school. I think the relationships with the commercial industrial sector that have been built, with some of the manufacturing that is over there. So I think, I think there's a there's a slight advantage, um, you know, to having them here. I would say that our building commissioner Gus Brown. I think we went through the committee a little earlier. 
you know, they've signed on to building the, the pavilion at the senior center. Um, and uh, most notably, uh, one of my favorites, which the superintendent was immediately supportive of, was when we didn't have a chef uh, at the senior center, it was the first call I made. Um, and that five minutes after I emailed, um, the email from the superintendent went to the head chef at, the, at Tri-County. They came down and served our seniors uh, at the holidays. And the students and the head chef, Nancy, had such a great experience. They offered uh, to come to the senior center, I believe, about once a month, and we're kind of working out some of those details. I do know, and I was gonna wait to the end, but why not now? Um, you know, the Memorial Day breakfast uh, is gonna be, uh, is, is gonna be uh, cooked and served catered by uh, the Tri-County students, which is a great thing um, for a Memorial Day celebration. Um, and I think I speak for some parents, but not uh, maybe all. I'm sure these days they're saving on gas money, uh, whereas some of the other towns have a longer haul for transportation. Um, there is no direct benefit uh, in terms of uh, mitigation. One of the things that um, they just did mention um, that we did work out an agreement several years ago to have a Franklin police officer as an SRO, which has really been a great uh, program for us. So it's kind of like working with uh, a college. It's not that there's direct financial assistance in the way that we're thinking in terms of mitigation. So I think the relationship building oftentimes provides a lot of additional benefits um, in the ways that we've worked together that are kind of offline and maybe indirect. I don't know what the right word is, um, but uh, I think the camaraderie uh, as well as the relationship building is, is a big deal. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of Franklin students that go there. So, um, you know, traditionally, like the SRO, when there have been issues like that came up, to your point, there was a cost to the police department for that. Um, and and Tri-County, the former superintendent, Steve Docker, was very supportive of that, approached us, and our chief and the superintendent, uh, the previous superintendent, were able to work that stuff out. Um, and I think that if there's any other issues uh, in the future, I know there was some around the solar farm, uh, that was put up on the property up in the back. Uh, the town assessors worked with them on all that stuff um, in terms of a pilot agreement and things. So uh, there are those kind of additional benefits, but if it was built today, to your point, Mike, if the school was being built today, I have no doubt that there would be probably a, a broader, uh, there'd be broader mitigation that would go along with building a brand new school um, you know, that, uh, that back in 1972, I guess, um, you know, was, was far from any consideration. Any other questions? Mm -hmm. this way? Superintendent, gentlemen, thank you. It's very informative. Well, thank, thank you very you. much for having us. We hope to see you again. So, I hope to see you on the night. And I believe the last item is the Montfort Cage Vote Budget thing. And, uh, that's on a basis. Yeah. Same exact thing with Tri-County Regional Agreement um, of the district, and we get a, an assessment and a bill, uh, and we pay it. Do <laughs> you happen to know what the enrollment numbers are for Franklin? I, I don't. I don't. I know it's been, it has not shifted a dramatic amount. I know I think they did have a couple of additional, a few extra students that have gone to the Aggie this year. We did invite um, the, uh, the school staff from there, and unfortunately they weren't available. But much like the superintendent for Tri-County, I think we'll try again next year, and hopefully we'll be able to have all the superintendents arrive. Uh, right. Okay, great. Well, there's no discussion on North Fork Aggie. 
We can move to a final vote, a bottom line vote on the operating enterprise budget recommendation. And I'll entertain a motion to approve the total budget of $142,391,586. So moved. Motion's been made. Seconded. Seconded. Any discussion on the motion to approve? This uh, needs to be a roll call vote. I believe Chana hopefully is still up there, even though we can't see the screen. She is. So, uh, Nicole? Uh, Mike? Yes. Chana? Yes. Natalie? Yes. Dave? Yes. Nicole? Yes. George? Yes. Hi. So the vote is seven to nothing, correct? Yes. Vote seven to nothing to approve the budget. And we have just a few other items left. I don't think this will take very long. Future agenda items. I think we've covered everything through the last few meetings. Um, the night one. I think I did the podcast. Bedtime. It's been a long week. Uh, I'm now entertain a motion to adjourn. Motion's been made. Second. Seconded. All those in favor of adjournment? No call vote. Mike? Aye. Chana? Yes. Yes. Dave? Aye. Yes. George? Yes. Aye. Seven to nothing. Thank you very much. We're adjourned. See you uh, next time, and committee will see you. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.